0: he's here he's here now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader mark levin
1: is president joe and baboso biden operating a modern day slave trade at the southern border Is Vice President Ken Malajeres, the immigration czar, is she aiding and abetting human smuggling from the Northern Triangle into the United States? Are the Marxist, American Marxist Democrats systemically using public schools to indoctrinate your children with critical race and gender theory, disguised as social and emotional learning and diversity, equity and inclusion? Hmm. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez with an S, Mr. Call Screener, Richie V, El Conservador, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And I'm here with you tonight. Mark Levin will be back tomorrow. As he mentioned to you yesterday, he's tending to some family business. My condolences to the Strauss family. Now, stick with me here, because this problem isn't going anywhere. Some people act first, and then they think later. And too many people are thinking first and not acting at all. The principal difference between the people doing stuff and the people complaining about stuff is that one of them is actually doing something. The principal difference between presidents like Reagan and Trump is that they left the comfort of their Hollywood actor lifestyle and billionaire lifestyle to serve and save this country. They didn't complain about what they would lose in the process. They knew that their service outweighed the sacrifice. Now, speaking of sacrifice, today's the 117th birthday of the New York City subway. And I saw a video earlier, and I tweeted it out, at Rich Valdez with an S if you want to check it out later. A guy standing on a train, on a subway, a New York City MTA subway. And he's yelling at a woman that's seated in front of him, or what appeared to be a woman to me, someone with long blonde hair. For telling him to take a chill pill because he was aggressively shoving people on the train. He goes on to tell her that nobody's allowed to get into his business and get in his way while he's trying to take the subway with his family. And he told her, say the word chill pill again. So she did. And he punched her straight across the face with a right hook. Nobody did anything. It was as if nobody on this train, and this train had at least 100 people on it, Nobody had a fist anymore. Nobody had anything. Nobody had not even the least bit of desire, at least you couldn't tell, to defend this woman or this person with shoulder-length blonde hair. Because again, the video is a little obstructed, but it looked like a woman. One guy bullied an entire car full of 100 New Yorkers. Now, as long as nobody does anything because they're afraid to sacrifice they're afraid of what might happen if they stand up to the bully the bad guys are gonna be the ones that win because they're the only ones sacrificing the bad guys they're putting it all on the line they're the only ones taking any kind of action now listen this is serious because i'm not telling everybody to jump into a street fight but i I'm a native New Yorker, and I haven't been in that particular position, so I'm I'm not going to jump off the the deep end, but I I think, I would like to think, that I'm going to do something. Because in that video, nobody did anything. And I think we're seeing some of that same type of apathy spreading across America, where people are afraid to stand up to the bullies, whether they be the bullies at the school board, the bullies in the White House, the bullies in Washington DC, the bullies at their employer, wherever. People are afraid to stand up for what is right. I'm not telling people to pick a fight. But sometimes that may be what people have to do. If you see an old lady getting mugged, this was a, I don't know, 105, 110 pound woman. She got punched across the face like a dude. Now, maybe he held back this guy because he seemed pretty big. And somebody his size should have been able to sucker punch somebody and knock him straight out. And he did it. So either he was weak or he didn't hit her that hard. Or she's really strong. Maybe she has a really, really strong neck. Who knows? I, I don't want to speculate too much. But the problem here is that nobody did anything. Crime's out of control. And the topic isn't crime being out of control in New York City. The time is people being apathetic. People not standing up to the bullies. We have to fight for things, including our freedom. You see, President Reagan famously said that freedom wasn't free. It's not passed on in the bloodline. It's something that we've got to fight for. Our liberty and this nation is our responsibility. Now, if you don't remember exactly what Reagan said back in 1961, I want you to listen to this.
2: Our founding fathers here in this country brought about the only true revolution that has ever taken place in man's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another set of rulers. But only here did that little band of men, so advanced beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since, evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Thank you.
1: Sadly, I feel like I'm telling my children right now what America was like. Just right before they were born 25 years ago. And that's scary. Reagan's right. Our freedom, our liberty, and this nation as a whole is our responsibility. We the people, not they the governments. Not they the politicians. Our Declaration of Independence is always a topic of... uh, conversation right because people call all the time and they're saying you know what but the declaration says i'm going to read you what it says and then later we're going to get into uh what professor randy burnett had to say because i did some research he has this great article on the declaration but it says but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future, for their security. Now, I'm not calling for a revolution. I'm actually gonna argue against it in a moment because of many different reasons. There's no reason to believe that this means anything other than we have to work with the excellent and brilliant system that the founders left us. Electing people that we want in office and replacing the bad ones. Punto y final. Period. The end. But we'll get into that piece from Professor Barnett a little later. It's pretty long and involved, so hopefully you're ready for that. I'm tired of hearing, where are the Republicans? If you don't like them, replace them. Do something beyond writing a check. Now, look, I don't mean to come across as standoffish or anything like that. We're on the same side you love America. I love America. And I always say you either love America or you don't. So I think that's the first question. I think we know who loves them and who doesn't, who loves this country, who doesn't. Everybody that's wondering, what is it that we can do? I tell people all the time, read chapter seven of Mark Levin's new book entitled, what can we do? Whether you're 18 years old or 80 years old, you can do things. You can make a difference. Yes. You can file that class action lawsuit on whatever you want. Just go for it. You can do it. Trust me. He, he lays it out clearly in, in that chapter. You can bring 20 activists to a school board meeting. I know many people listening right now have never even been to one. And the people that have been to one are sitting there yelling at the radio right now saying, listen, I go all the time. Good for you, patriot. Good for you. I served on a school board for, for nearly a decade. I saw a parent once or twice or three times. It happens. Sometimes they come, sometimes they complain, but for the most part, nobody cared. But yes, you can take your kids out of public school. You know what that does? It kills the public school cash flow, and it's happening in Virginia. Mark Levin read an article just the other day from a local source. One of the listeners put me onto it, and I said, wow, look at that. They're down a bunch of money because parents are taking their kids out of the school system. And yes, the money travels with the child. You can start a charter school or you can help somebody start a charter school. You can run for office. You can become a professor. Now, I know people are sitting there going, I can't do anything. I'm 55 years old. I'm 65 years old. I'm a trucker. I'm a plumber. I'm an attorney. I'm a cop, whatever it is. I'm not going to switch careers now. I don't know. I know this guy, Donaldus Magnus. He switched careers pretty late in life. And we'll get to that in a second. You can start your own show, write your own book, host your own rally. You can hold a sign and help others to do the same thing. And yes, you can run for office just like Trump did. I like to call him Donaldus Magnus, El Trumpito, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente. He left the comfort of his skyscraper penthouse on Fifth Avenue to move into the DC swamp with his supermodel wife, risking his children his business, all for the sake of America. Ultimately, this is all about sacrifice. And we're either going to be guided by love or we're going to be guided by fear. Our love for liberty in this country or our fear of what we might sacrifice if we act. A wise man once told me that he didn't regret anything that he'd done in his life. That he only regretted the things that he didn't do and wished that he had. So my fellow Americans, that's a Reagan line, what are you willing to sacrifice? Well, we'll talk about that over the next three hours. So get comfortable, turn up the volume, because we're just getting started here. We're kicking off the best three hours in talk radio. There's a lot more straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all the social media, filling in for the great. Much
3: love in.
4: In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So, why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks?
1: Welcome back. Rich Valdez. Valdez with an N. With with an N. (laughs) With an S. In for the great one, Mark Levin. Phone number here, 877-381-3811. For the Libs, 877-381-3811. Now, we're going to go over a few things. I want to get into this um, Declaration of Independence stuff because I think it's really important and I think it's well written and it's a deep dive. And you guys love a deep dive because you're Levinites. I wouldn't do this anywhere else because I think I would chase people away with reading a pretty long article like this. But... We're also going to get into wokeism, how wokeism is uh, coming into the culture a little bit later on through artwork and uh, so many other areas, as well as the hearing that happened in Washington today and how, I don't know what how much of, is left of uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland. He really, uh, in Spanish, we would say, lo pusieron como chupón de china. I mean, they really, really chewed this guy out big time. So we're going to get to all that. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. Now, this is a piece by Randy Barnett. Uh, constitutional law professor. He's been on the Mark Levin Show plenty of times. It's uh, about six, seven years old. And I'm going to give you a little bit, right? He gives this intro and he says, "The Declaration of Independence used to be read aloud at public gatherings every 4th of July. Today, while Americans have all heard of it, all too few have read more than its second sentence. Yet the Declaration shows the natural rights foundation of the American Revolution and provides important information about what the founders believed, makes a constitution or a government legitimate. It also raises questions of how these fundamental rights are reconciled with the idea of, quote-unquote, the consent of the governed. This is another area he thinks that has gotten uh, loosely interpreted over the years. So, he goes in and he starts talking. He says, now, when reading the Declaration, it's worth keeping in mind two, two very important facts. The Declaration consisted of... Claims against the crown, claims of high treason against the English crown. Every person who signed it would be executed as traitors should they be caught by the British. Secondly, the declaration was considered to be a legal document by which the revolutionaries justified their actions and explained why they were not truly traitors. It represented, as it were, a literal indictment of the crown and the parliament in the very same way that criminals are now publicly indicted for their alleged crimes by grand juries represented by the people but to justify a revolution it was not thought to be enough that officials of the government of england the parliament or even the sovereign himself the king had violated the rights of the people no government is perfect all governments violate rights this was well known so Americans had to allege more than mere violations of rights. They had to allege nothing short of a criminal conspiracy to violate their rights systemically. Hence, the famous reference to a long train of abuses and usurpations. And the list that follows the two first paragraphs. In some cases, these specific complaints account for provisions eventually included in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. It goes on. In our Constitution, Republican Constitution, securing liberty and sovereignty of we the people, I explain how the Declaration is encapsulated in the political theory of the day that led to the Constitution some 11 years later. To appreciate all that's packed into these paragraphs, again, this is Barnett, it's useful to break down the Declaration into some of its key claims. Now, here's where he starts highlighting and and slicing and dicing, right? And I read this one a little bit before, and I'm going to read it again. When in the course... Of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among those with the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that there should declare the causes which impel them to that separation he goes on, the first sentence is often forgotten. It asserts that Americans as a whole and not as members of their respective colonies are a distinct people to dissolve the political bands and revoke the social compact that existed between the Americans and the rest of the people of the British Commonwealth, reinstating this state of nature between Americans and the government of Great Britain, uh, Great Britain, excuse me, and makes the laws of nature. Now, this is getting heavy, and I'm not going to get into all of it. I'm I'm working my way to a point. But the point here is that he goes on, and he breaks down the the, the first part of it. And I'm going to do that on the other side because it's kind of chunky, and I want you to be able to digest it. So, again, my name is Rich Valdez, host of This Is America, and we will be right back.
5: an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with an S filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. 877-381-3811. And uh, we're talking about the Declaration of Independence. And... In true Mark Levin way, now listen, I can't fill Mark Levin's shoes when it comes to uh, historical analysis and constitutional scholarship, but I know how to read an article, and I'm sharing this with you because I think it's incredibly important in this day and age, because I keep hearing people telling me this and challenging this, and if you think I'm wrong, you can give me a call and challenge me on it. But, Barnett goes on, the declaration is like this indictment that anybody else would have with, uh, you know, stating the, the basis of their own criminality. But the ultimate judge of the rightness of their cause will be God. Which is why the revolutionaries spoke of a, quote, appeal to heaven, an expression commonly found on revolutionary banners and flags. As British political theorist John Locke wrote, quote, the people have no other remedy in this, as in all other cases, where they have no judge on earth but to appeal to heaven the reference to a decent respect to the options of mankind or the opinions rather might be viewed as a kind of international public opinion test, or perhaps the emphasis is on the word respect, recognizing the obligation to provide the rest of the world with an explanation they can evaluate for themselves. And then he goes on to break down uh, the importance of, you know, the probably the most famous uh, sentence in the Declaration, we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and no, not love, but the pursuit of happiness. And what's interesting here is he keeps going and he drills down, talking about property and personal property. And, and this is going to be our segue to wokeness eventually, where the wokeism, the Marxist, is the enemy of property. And property is a big piece of this. But the part we're looking at right now is the part where do we abolish our own government or not? And this is the part that to me, and uh, based on you know, Barnett's uh, explanation of this, I think it's, uh, it's no. I don't think we do it, at least not yet, right? He says people have the right to take back power from the government. And this is restated straight to the end, human safety and happiness and and connects these principles and forms of governments as a means to that end. Quote, prudence indeed will dictate that the governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience have shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. All right, so I understand that to say, you've got a couple of these bad actors in government, doesn't mean that we abolish the government because we've got a couple of cockroaches that we're having a tough time killing. Get it? So no, I don't believe we bring the whole system down. I just don't. And he goes on. This affirms at least two propositions. On the one hand, long-established government should not be changed for just any reason. The mere fact that rights are violated is not enough to justify a revolution. All governments on earth will sometimes violate these rights. He restates what he mentioned in his original thesis. But things have to become very bad before anyone is going to organize a resistance. Therefore, the very existence of this declaration is evidence that things were very bad indeed. Another quote. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, and I read this earlier, pursuing invariably the same object evinces, I don't know evinces, I should have looked that one up, a design to reduce all of this under the despotism, it's their right, it's their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Revolution is justified only If there is a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object, evidence of what amounts to an actual criminal conspiracy by the government against the rights of the people. Now, I think some will say, well, Rich, we're there. Take your head out of the sand. We're totally there. I would say we're inching close to it, but I don't think we're there just yet. The opposite of light and transient causes, that is, the more ordinary violations Of rights by government quote and this i'm wrapping this up such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government the history of the present king of great britain George third is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states to prove this let facts be submitted to a candid world. Now, I think he makes the case there pretty strongly. We look back at our own history and we realize there were soldiers, British soldiers, living in people's houses, which is why we have a Fourth Amendment today. And I got news for you. Nobody's in my house, and you got news for me. You wouldn't let anybody in your house. You know, that whole, that whole saying from back in the World War era, that you couldn't do a land invasion in this country because there would be a rifle behind every blade of grass. That holds even more true today. So my point is, I'm not going to wait for someone to come and take over my house, but I am going to say we've got to wait until things are that bad in order for, for us to react that way. So no, I don't think we're there. I believe that we have elections coming up that will totally sway the way we're going now, those of you who are listening, saying, man, you're a nice guy. You sound good on the radio, but you're totally wrong because you can't move forward unless you fix this electoral problem that we have. And I always say the same thing. I watched a fight on a video today on the subway. I worked in Manhattan for a long time. I have seen a lot of people do a lot of things in the city, yet I've never been robbed. So, yeah, you can get robbed and not get robbed every day. It doesn't mean everybody's getting robbed. Actions being taken. States are doing audits. People are putting laws into effect. We've seen it in Texas. We've seen it in Georgia. Is there work to be done ahead of us? Absolutely. But is the system totally corrupt and perverted? I don't think so. I think you put the right people and that system works all of a sudden, magically. What we've got to do is change the people, not necessarily the system. Hope that made sense. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez in for Mark Levin the Great. Mark Levin. America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. I'm the host of This Is America. Check it out when you get a chance. And um, I'm ready for you guys to let me have it. I know some of you are saying, you know what, Rich, thanks for standing up for things. Because you know what, when you have a dream, and America is about a dream, right? The American experiment is the American dream. And when you have a dream, you fight towards your dream. You don't let go of your dream because things get difficult. You hold on and you fight. You don't just reconstruct it. That being said, let me give you the number, 877-381-3811. Do we have someone that is on the 3811 line? Looks like it's flashing red. I think we might have one from Los Angeles, California, On Sirius. Let's go to Adam, otherwise known as Jesse, when he's not transitioning. Go ahead.
6: (laughs) That's cute, not transitioning. Hey, I was wondering, um, since Donald Trump was president, we... He used to say that the stock market was kind of the, uh, the indicator for how the economy was doing. He promoted uh, record growth in the uh, stock market and unemployment was low. I'm kind of wondering why do we not hold uh, Joe Biden to that
1: same standard if the uh, stock market is up and unemployment is down? Could we not say that the economy is good? Sure. Well, if that were actually the case, I think we would. But the problem here is that unemployment is not necessarily down. Job creation is is actually down. So when you have job creation that's down and you have people that are no longer on unemployment because they've exhausted the entirety of their federal benefit, that's not really the same. In the, in reality, there was an incredible job surplus with President Trump at a higher wage What we see now is we still have some surplus jobs because there are some people that still haven't exhausted everything or that are now switched from federal uh, benefits to state benefits. Now, as far as the stock market, yeah, it's a good indication. I think it's great that people aren't losing their their, uh, shirts in the stock market. But when you look at what it costs to get a cup of coffee, to buy, like me, I like to eat roast pork, pernil. You look at what it costs to buy some roast pork. My goodness, restaurants are taking it on the chin. Truckers are taking it on the chin. It's incredibly difficult. There's not a sane person, at least somebody that's not transitioning, that is going to say, and I'm not really making fun of people transitioning. I'm just making fun of Adam and Jesse. There's not a sane person out there that's going to say, oh my gosh, the economy right now under Biden is just booming, right? So why
6: do you think I'm transitioning?
1: I'm just making fun of you, sir.
6: Oh, I, don't, I don't think it's funny, but... No, I think um, most of
1: America did. <laughs> I'm holding back my laughter. Anyway, go ahead.
6: Oh. Um, I would say that we have 10, 000, or 10 million uh, job positions that are unfilled, and we have a labor shortage of 7 million people. So there seems to be a disconnect between... The yeah, there's people- a
1: disconnect. It's called mandated vaccinations. You've got people that are losing their jobs left and right, people that are afraid to even take new jobs... Because they know that they're not prepared to take this vaccine. They're unwilling to sacrifice their rights and their freedoms, et cetera, et cetera. So they're not even going for jobs like that. And we're at a crux right now. We're at a real crossroads where people are saying, how will this economy continue? How is there going to be any recovery from COVID if we're using regulation rather than actually the removal of regulation to allow the economy to grow?
6: Yeah, well since the mandates haven't gone in effect yet. Nobody has lost their job. Anybody who has left their job has done voluntarily because they don't Well want that's to not
1: it. necessarily true because look, I know a bunch of people that work for the State University of New York. I know people that work for city agencies. Uh, New York City and I guess we can jump into that topic a little bit earlier than we we're going to, but it was on my agenda for a little later. In New York City, today's Wednesday. Friday is their drop dead date. So, yeah, there's a lot of people that are making preparations. There are people that may have wanted jobs that can't even apply for them. And there's a lot of people that are currently on unpaid leave with or without the mandate from the government, because let's not forget this all started when Joe Biden started making calls from the from the Oval Office. And he called people and and board people, and he called everybody and said, look, I need you guys. And he got the companies on board before he used his OSHA workaround. So, I mean, this is an abuse of power by the government that we've never even seen in this country.
6: Uh, I'm not sure about abuse of power. You're um, not sure about a lot of things. Well, I mean, I have my opinions about things, but, you know... It has to be fact-based, and the fact-based is that, you know, we have to protect the health of the American citizen. Oh, well, now
1: you want to go and start splitting hairs on whether uh, the, these breakthrough are really breakthroughs, or does the actual vaccine prevent anyone from getting uh, the the disease transmission? It, can you transmit disease? The answer is yes, you can. It doesn't stop that. So they even changed the definition of the word to say, you know what? This is so that you don't drop dead because of the severity of the Delta and this and that and whatever. And I'm not arguing that point. But I am going to say it's not stopping people from getting the disease. So anyway, before we go into more rabbit holes with Adam, Jesse, and whatever his name is going to be next time, thank you for your call. We do appreciate it. Hasta la próxima. Anyway, I am Rich Valdez. We're going to keep some calls going. We're going to get to the wokeism. We're going to do a lot more. Don't move a muscle. There's a lot to come. I'm in for the great one. Oh. Oh. Okay, I've been notified that <laughs> I have time for another call, and that is my favorite. So let us go to Bob. Bob's in St. Louis, Missouri. What's going on, brother?
5: Well, I'm, I'm seeing a different end game that I don't hear anybody talking about.
1: Um, uh, usually when we don't hear anybody talking about it, it's because it's kind of radical. But go ahead.
5: Well, no, it's not radical. I'll, I'll, let me let me talk about it here. Okay, back when Obama was president. He talked about bringing United Nations people in to secure the election. There was a big uproar about that. Now, if you go with the mandates and people who are saying they're not going to get the vaccination, who are either going to walk out or lose their jobs because of it, now you have police forces that are being depleted and defunded, and you have the mayor of Chicago calling Sheriff's Department Hold asking. Hold on. Trump, they said You're going
1: no. really fast here. Let's go back to Obama. What's the, uh, the issue that you have with Obama? And there's plenty to have.
5: He, he well, he wanted to bring the United Nations in to supposedly secure the elections. Blah blah
1: blah. Now well, let's stop right there. I, I mean, I have no such recollection of Barack Obama wanting to bring in the United Nations to secure an election.
5: Go back and check the transcripts of Obama's talking. He you know, brought it
1: up. About- I, I know what you're talking about. I think you're misunderstanding it. I think the United Nations is given entirely way too much credit, way too much credit, and everybody likes a bad guy. So, you know, it's the UN, it's George Soros, it's this one and that one, and I don't mean to minimize them. These are some legitimate bad guys, and you've got a lot of bad guys that are at the UN. But what does that even mean? When you're president of the United States and you command the most powerful military on the planet, and you have all of this executive authority... Why on earth do you need to go and get some other entity to do anything, right? You don't. So a lot of this stuff is really um, overhyped. It's, it's hyperbole in so many ways. And I think people take the bait. And, and one of the most popular things that we see in politics, and again, I worked in state government, and, and I've been involved in this stuff, so I've seen it is to, to dangle something, to dangle a little red meat in front of somebody. It doesn't mean they won't do it eventually, but usually they're not doing it right that second. And they'll say, hey, look at this. Look what I got over here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill Social Security. And then everybody freaks out. Ah, oh, no way. You're going to kill Social Security. Or maybe we should look at the U.N. And make no mistake. And, and dangling something to get people to freak out, knowing full well it's just not going to happen. And guess what? It didn't happen. So that's my point. Go ahead. Let me,
5: finish my, let, me, let me finish my scenario now. Now you have police forces who are walking off the job because they're not going to get the vaccination. You have military who are talking about either being forced out or getting out because they're not going to get the vaccination. So now you no longer have the strongest military out there because you're going to deplete it. Sure. You're your police forces. What's to stop Biden from saying... Well, look at our police forces. They're depleted. Look at our military. It's being depleted. We need help to secure our country. All these radical domestic terrorists. Well, Bob, again, I don't
1: don't think you're wrong. I think the, the bottom line is this is always their plan. I mean, at least since I've been an observer of politics, the Democrats have always wanted to systemically dismantle or weaken the United States military because they have, they're have, they not the America First crowd. I mean, Bill Clinton sold off our missile secrets. He did whatever he had to do to put it on the fast track to say, oh, that's old stuff, we don't need that anymore. Sold it to the Chinese. Some people are in this for America. Some people are in it for their pocket. So I mean, the fact that they're defunding the military, defunding the police, or using a circumspect way of doing it, It's not a surprise, but thank you for the call. We appreciate it. I look forward to uh, taking some more calls and getting into the wokeism. Don't move a muscle now, really coming back. (laughs) We'll be right back.
0: He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Hour number two. I am Rich Valdez filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark is off tonight. Tending to a uh, family matter. There's a passing in this family. Our condolences to the Strauss family and the Levin family. And our phone number, 877-381-3811. Now, Merrick Garland testified today, and we're going to get to that and some stuff on the uh, New York City mayoral debate and all of that as well into the end of this hour and the top of next hour. But the Virginia student work uh, walkout yesterday to protest the rape cover-up. That was a big thing. And and Mark went over that, I think, um, excellently. So I'm not going to get into that. But that was just one more thing happening in Virginia. Now, today or yesterday, the National School Board Association, they now say, we're sorry for calling parents domestic terrorists. But Merrick Garland says he sticks by his memo. And we're going to get to that. But what I want to get to now is how they're now trying to get the parents to self-censor they're saying look if you're going to look at our curriculum well you've got to sign this nda and you heard about that and i think this is exactly what i was talking about with the last caller in just in a different sense you see the uh, american marxist as levin has appropriately coined they get into every aspect There are American Marxists in the government, and yeah, we we elected one in 2008 and dealt with it for a long time, and we're still dealing with it. Now his grandfather's elected, and he's, he's still kicking our butts. But this is the problem. They've always wanted to destroy the military. What happened when Trump came in? First thing he had to do is put a ton of money into rebuilding the military Obama destroyed. I mean, it, it comes as no surprise to anybody, I think, when I've seen Facebook threads on my personal account, not even the, the radio stuff, where, you know, a woman that I know, woman of color, BIPOC, as they say, black, indigenous person of color, was going at it. She's a, she's a retired sergeant, probably subscribes to wokeism. She was having an argument with a active duty lieutenant who was also BIPOC and claiming that he was gay. And he was taking the position that, you know what? Our military is being hindered by people that joined the United States Army just to have a sex change during the Obama years. And that's why Trump took a lot of heat for that stuff. And I wasn't even going to get into that, but this was just something that came up the other day because I was talking to somebody about it, and I figured I'll share it with you. Because I thought it was an interesting um, set of facts that leads into the overarching story here. He argues that I have certain people that I have to have, and every time one of them goes out for medical, they're out for 18 months while they do hormone replacement, while they do the actual sex change, or whatever it is in this transition. Now, his argument was that this weakens the military. And, and one of the most famous cases was Bradley Manning, who's now Chelsea Manning, right? And got in trouble and became famous and all that. So he was saying that this loophole, and it wasn't a loophole, it seemed intentional. Obama said, we're going to do this, and people just started coming in. So we have a military that has a significant uh, or some degree of wokeness within it. You have G- General Milley who's promoting that. This, to me, is is a very serious thing, but... Again, like I spoke with the caller, this has always been the M.O. of the left. Destroy the military. Make the government strong and shape your own military. They've all done it. From Pol Pot to Chavez to Castro to Mao Zedong. You name it, this is what they do. And later on, I want to talk about how, how our confiscatory taxes are really starting to look a lot like the way China owns 51% of every business. We just do it by way of taxes, but I'm going off on a tangent. We'll get to that in hour three. What I want to talk about now is how this mom went into the Fairfax County School Board meeting. Not yesterday. It was about three weeks ago. Somebody sent this to me on Instagram, and I didn't get a chance to look at it right away, and I was blown away by this, even though I rarely get blown away by a lot of things, but this is one of those things where I said, wow, this needs more attention Because ultimately, that's how it starts. They seep in everywhere, whether they're seeping in in the military or they're seeping in in the public uh, classroom. I want you to listen to this mom. Check this out.
3: After seeing a September 9th school board meeting in Texas on pornography in the schools, I decided to check the titles at my child's school, Fairfax High School. The books were available and we checked them out. Both of these books include pedophilia, sex between men and boys. Both books describe different acts. One book describes a fourth grade boy performing oral sex on an adult male. The other book has detailed illustrations of a man having sex with a boy. The illustrations include fellatio, sex toys, Masturbation and violent nudity. Pedophilia here, from the author Maya Kobabe. Quote: I can't wait to have your <laughs> mouth. I am going to give you the <laughs> of your life, and then I want. End quote. From the author Jonathan Evison. What if I told you I touched another guy's? <laughs> what if I told you? It? I was ten years old, but it's true. I. Doug Goebel's the real estate guy, and mine too. This is not an oversight at Fairfax I'm High sorry. School. Moment. This yes. material, the there
7: are children in the audience here. Do not <laughs> interrupt my time. <laughs> <laughs> Do not interrupt
3: your time! I can't see here in <laughs> my my time is restored. High school. Langley students, and Anandale High School. Oh, Pornography oh, is offensive oh, to oh, all people. It is offensive to common decency. It is the reason oh, why speaker. the MAA.
1: Wow. Yep, everything you heard there, and we bleeped it out. But she said, I'm gonna give you the best blank bleep job of your life. I can't wait to suck your bleep. Now, I know people that talk like this all the time. Right? This is how it goes for so many people. But it's not something that you expect to be in your children's library. Now I remember when there was the N word being thrown around when we were reading Pony Boy and stuff when I was in high school, maybe even eighth grade. But this is very different. And it just happened to be that I was in my local library today, and there it was prominently displayed, not in the young adult section, but in the kids section where they do like the circle time reading. There it was, Gender Queer, a memoir by Maya Kobabi. Now, some people are listening and saying, who the heck is this homophobe filling in for Levin? It it's, has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the nature of this stuff, with this guy saying, yeah, I was 10 years old, and I was sucking someone's blank. This is what this mom is saying, and then, of course, the school board says, ma'am, ma'am, there's kids in this audience. You can't say all that. Meanwhile, they're the ones that brought the book in. They allowed the book to be there. This is, now listen, I believe in free speech. If you want to have that stuff in your library, have it in your library. But parents need to know this stuff. Parents need to to do what she did. And look, and I can tell you that I was going to snap a shot. I was going to actually send it to Mr. Producer and go, Wow, look at this thing I'm going to talk about tonight. It's right here in my library. And as God is my witness, I went, I grabbed some stuff that was on the counter. I walked back to where the book was. It was already checked out. It's actually popular nowadays, this book. Now, this is some scary stuff. Now, why is it scary? Because in my entire lifetime... While I've known people that may be homosexual, I don't really think I know anyone that is a transsexual. They've always been in the minority, but somehow that is leading the conversation. That's a problem. Now, the reason it's a problem is because it all circles back, circle back, circle back Pasaki. It all circles back to what? To what the Marxists do, this divide and conquer strategy of, of balkanizing people creating groups, getting us to be against them, et cetera, et cetera. This is exactly what they do. It's in their wheelhouse. And it, it's just, it's the beginning. It's the tip of the spear. When you, and I don't mean to be perverse in saying that. I'm just saying literally in, in this movement, they're at the tip of it. They're driving this. And it trickles down. It goes into other things. Now, that was Stacy Langton. She's a mom in Fairfax County. Talking about pedophilia and the ten-year-old, etc. I don't want to make you relive it. I'm just—I think a lot of it's my own shock. But now, what do we have? Well, there's this account on Twitter. libs of TikTok. It's got always got something just shocking. There's a lot of shock value there. And this one is Cody. Cody is. You can't tell if she's a boy or a girl, but she explains it. The problem is I am so ignorant to so many of these pronouns. I believe the ones she's using are now called zer. And somehow it's incumbent upon me to know what a zer is when I only know what a mam and a sir is. Check this out. I'm
7: Cody, pronouns
1: EM ers or zen or really any Neo pronouns that aren't z her hers. What? I am a White, transmasculine, femme, non-binary, temporarily, mostly able-bodied, neurodivergent, obsessive, compulsive, chronically ill, culturally Jewish, unitarian, universalist, non-monogamous, demi-low-romantic, gray, demi-bisexual, survivor of acute and complex trauma, millennial, and cat parent in mental health recovery. (laughs) I don't laugh because I'm being insensitive, pero ay bendito. Wow. I mean, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? But that's where we are. And this is becoming more and more perverse. And you hide the perversion behind these, these uh, kind of like the civil rights law, right? You have these untouchable categories that say, you know, you can't, but this isn't that per se. But that's what they do. They're like, well, I'm a this, that, 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 and the other. If I'm a this, that, these, and those, zer, 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 cat mom, that is, I don't even know if she is a biological male or female or whatever, what have you. I mean, it's, to me, it's really that confusing. Maybe I'm just uh, Putting my ignorance on display. But if that's truly the case, there's a lot of confused people in America, and I think they look more like me than look like her, because I don't know what's going on. But this stuff trickles down. And there's an article I want to show you. In the post-millennial. Now, let's see. Let's see, Mr. Producer, how are we on with time? All right, so here we go. Breaking... Investigation underway after Kentucky High School hosts a drag queen pageant featuring male teens in lingerie giving lap dances to staff. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that when I was in high school, some of the football players for Halloween didn't dress up like cheerleaders. They did. And it was funny. And I got it. I appreciated the humor. This seems to have some of that element, but I could never in a million years. Now, I went to North Bergen High School. Go Bruins. And I can't, I could not imagine Mr. Bot, Mr. Wolf, all of the rest of those guys, these are big buff dudes doing what's in this picture. And I'll tweet this out so you could see it, at Rich Valdez on the social media. But these guys are clapping while these kids are in their underwear, giving them lap dances, massaging their abdomens. These are students to teachers. Now, I got to tell you, I have a high school junior. If she were to do this to a gym teacher, we'd have a huge problem. So what's the difference if it's a boy doing it dressed as a girl? And we've already seen what happens with boys dressed as girls in Virginia. I mean, these things are crazy, but listen to this. This is uh, from today from 6 o'clock. I printed it at 6 o'clock. Custom made blah, blah, blah. That's an ad. (laughs) Investigations underway after photos surfaced on social media depicting a homecoming event at a Kentucky high school where male students partook in a man pageant. The male students seen in photos taken at Hazard School's homecoming week festivities on Tuesday wore scant clothing, including women's lingerie, and gave staff members lap dances in the gymnasium, according to the Courier-Journal. Now, there's uh, some... Additional commentary, blah, 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 blah. Students and staff reportedly took part in this man pageant. Now, you tell me, is this not a systemic problem where now all these people are just acting up? Or are you trying to tell me that they were always like that? Now they just have an outlet. They're all out of the closet. There's a whole lot more male teen drags than we thought. Come on. I'm not buying it. Anyway, don't move a muscle. We're going to get into that and a whole lot more. I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all the social media. Sitting in for the great one.
0: Much in
1: All right, welcome back. So, again, this is happening in Hazard County, Kentucky. Whoa. So the Dukes of Hazard, that's what I'm going to nickname them, uh... The high school principal was revealed in one of the photos to be getting a lap dance by the student. And get this, the principal's name is Donald, quote-unquote, Happy Mobellini. Now, I don't know him. He's probably a great guy. But <laughs> this is not a good look for the Dukes of Hazard and Happy Mobellini. Now, I want to get to a call because this is a short segment before we break for the bottom. Let's go to Eric in Beaufort, North Carolina. You're on with Rich Valdez. In for the great one. Um, any day now. Sir. Hello, how are you doing? Welcome. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking my call. You got it. So, just kind of to, to go
6: back to what the uh, school board conversation is about those books and being appropriate in a high school, as the one uh, council member said, uh, is, is that acceptable speech? For those high schools as well, for students to kind of walk around and talk about their different encounters with other people in front of teachers and, you know, kind of say those words verbatim that are coming from that book. Because I remember right back in my high school days or even my children now, that would lead to suspensions or detentions or definitely me being in the office with them.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think you bring up a good point, Eric, that what was once considered taboo is now the talk of the town. Now, I mentioned earlier that I went to North Bergen High School, and I remember some years ago that one of the teachers there became Mr. So-and-so, became Mrs. So-and-so, and and it was a huge deal. It was like, wow, this was probably going back 10 years. But you're right. Times are a-changing, and and I get that, and I'm not necessarily – you know, I'm not thrilled about it. I mean, part of what I do in life is, as a traditionalist, as a conservative, is to try and hold on to yesteryear and, and the the values and traditions that were alive and well when I was coming up. But you're right. When you were in school 20 years ago, this just wasn't the case.
6: It's crazy how it's all changed.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate your call. Thank you for joining us tonight. Now, straight ahead, we're still going to talk a little bit about what's going on with this uh, – the outcomes of gender theory what happens when this gender theory is taught so we've got some audio coming up plus we're going to talk about what's going on with everything else in america so don't move a muscle i am rich valdez in for the great one mark levin
5: If you turn off your radio and open the window, you can probably hear him straight from the studio. Call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at the end. Filling in for the great one, Mark Levin, tonight. The phone number is 877-381-3811, 3811 for the Libs. And keep it coming. I love the conversation. I know some hosts don't like to take calls. They leave them here. They leave them there. They'll do one per hour. Whatever it is, that's fine. No critique. I just happen to love connecting with the audience. To me, it's part of the beauty of live radio is that I say stuff, and people instantly get angry or go, yeah, yeah, right on. So... We're talking about the effects of all of this gender issue, and the effects of everything that's going on. And I want to discuss what happened today with Attorney General Merrick Garland. As you know, he uh, penned this this evil, scathing memo saying that you know we will prosecute parents and use the Patriot Act if they are intimidating people at school board meetings. And then the school board uh, association, the National School Board Association, who they themselves said. Parents are being domestic terrorists. They themselves said they were sorry for this because states started pulling out and they felt that repercussion. So today, Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, he's in the hot seat. He's in the hot seat and the uh, chairman of the committee, Senator Dick Durbin, opens up the committee and starts explaining why things are just so out of control and why there's so much violence. Listen to this.
0: And those who argue that school board meetings across America are not more dangerous and more violent than in the past are ignoring reality. I went on it and just typed in this morning, school board violence on one of the search engines. Page after page is coming up. In my state of Illinois, Minden, Illinois, is a small rural town in Adams County, the western part of our state, that I have represented for almost 40 years.
1: Well, you know, it being from Illinois is part of your problem, Mr. Senator. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Solid community, and yet they had their own instance at a school board meeting where an individual had to be arrested because he had threatened violence against the school board members over masks in schools, for example. The story is repeated over and over again. The state of Minnesota, Senator Klobuchar knows the story well. The state of you Idaho. You know
1: what? Forget about Senator Klobuchar. I'll tell you about people that know about violence and intimidation. Just put on a red hat that says, make America great again, and you will experience some serious threats of violence and intimidation. It's like uh, one of the most dangerous things you could do, at least if you're in New York City like me. If you want to know something about that, Senator Durbin, I invite you to New York. Anyway. He's saying that this is out of control. If it even is out of control, it's out of control because the principal's getting a lap dance from 16-year-old Johnny at school. <laughs> Not that I'm saying it's okay, out of school. So Senator John Cornyn from Texas, he he really dug into the attorney general today, and I thought it was really uh, – It was a great display, honestly, by all the Republicans. So when everybody's like, where are the Republicans? I'm going to spend a little bit of time showing you, even Republicans that some people don't like, like John Cornyn, they're going in on them because this is the job. Check this out.
8: Well, Mr. Attorney General, you've acknowledged that parents have a right, a constitutional right, to be uh, heard on the education of their children in public schools. Can you imagine the sort of intimidation the sort of uh, bullying impact that a memorandum from the Department of Justice would have and how that would chill the willingness of parents to exercise their rights under threat of federal prosecution. Did you consider the chilling impact your memorandum would have on parents exercising their constitutional
9: rights? The only thing this memorandum is about is violence and threats of violence. And it opens with a statement. But my question is, did you consider
8: the chilling effect this would have on parents' constitutional
9: rights? To say that the Justice Department is against violence and threats of violence.
8: Did you consider the chilling effect your memorandum might have on parents exercising their constitutional rights? I think you can answer that, yes or no. What I considered,
9: which I wanted the memorandum to assure people that we uh, uh, recognize the rights of spirited debate. and. So Mr. That- Attorney General, you're a very intelligent and
8: accomplished lawyer and judge. You can answer the question, I did, did not- you consider... I do not the chilling effect that this sort of threat of federal prosecution would have on parents' exercise of their constitutional rights to be involved
9: in their children's education. don't believe it's reasonable to read this memorandum as chilling anyone's rights. It's about threats of violence and it expressly recognizes the constitutional right to, to make arguments about your children's
1: education fascinating again fascinating again i know not everybody's into this stuff but i've been into this for a long time and again i spent what it was eight and a half nine years on a school board jersey city new jersey beloved community charter school big shout out to brett and everybody over there all the scholars all the families and i gotta tell you what what this guy is saying is a total farce when you need some sort of law enforcement you go to your local constabulary you get the jersey city police the hudson county sheriff or whatever the, the current uh, iteration of county police is in Hudson County. So to say that we're going to go to the FBI because we're having parents that are threatening people, that's like saying, I'm going to the bodega. Well, I'm going to have to call Attorney General Merrick Garland. We're going go to get the FBI because you yelled at the bodeguero. Excuse me? No, it doesn't work that way. The whole thing is fake. It's phony. It's fraud, to quote the uh, great Bob Grant. Anyway, Senator Tom Cotton, He also laid into him. So for everybody, that's like, where are the Republicans? They're right here doing stuff. Check this out.
10: Judge, you've repeatedly, you've repeatedly dissembled this morning about that directive. For instance, about the National Security Division. Chuck Grassley asked you a very simple question. Why you would sick the National Security Division of the Department of Justice on parents? John Cornyn asked you the same thing. You said it wasn't in your October 4th memorandum, it was in another office's memorandum. It wasn't another office's memorandum, Judge. It was in a press release from your office, right here in front of me, October 4th, 2021, for immediate release. You're gonna create a task force that includes the National Security Division. What on earth does the National Security Division have to do with parents who are expressing disagreements at school boards?
9: Nothing in this memorandum. Or any memorandum is about parents expressing disagreements with their school boards. The memorandum makes clear that uh, parents are entitled and protected by the First Amendment to have vigorous debates. We don't, uh, uh, the Justice Department is not interested in that question at all.
10: It is oh, okay, so even in that case, what, what is the National Security Division, Judge? The nas- these are the people that are supposed to be chasing jihadists and Chinese spies. What does the National Security Division have to do with parents? at school boards.
9: This is not, again, about parents at school boards. This is about threats of violence.
1: Threats of violence to who and from where? This is the problem. This guy's like, yeah, oh, you guys want me to go uh, down to the Senate chamber and answer some questions? Sure, I'll go. I'm Merrick Garland. Maybe we should give him a nickname. Merrick El Gran Payaso Garland, because he doesn't answer any questions. He just, well, this is about threats of, this is about, let me see if I could get into that range. This is about threats of, well, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. It's almost as if Mr. Magoo were the attorney general. But let's keep going because th- to me the audio is doing a lot better than I would possibly do. I want you to hear what happened. I actually watched this stuff live and I went from like, you know, like, oh, no, no, he didn't. To, to like straight up laughing out loud because the guy is so clownish. Now we move on after he gets eviscerated by Tom Cotton. And you would think there's not much left of this attorney general. Like I told you earlier, de they chewed this guy out. But he gets a little bit more from Tom Cotton. Listen to this.
10: You've cited as the basis for that directive the National School Board Association's letter of September 29th. Was that directive being prepared before September 29th, before the School Board Association letter was issued? I don't believe so. Certainly I didn't have any idea. So it was only prepared to ask? Okay, I think that answers it, the question. I already answered that So, so you, you keep citing the School Board letter and news reports. That's news right. re- One that's of the right. news reports cited in that letter, which you presumably mean, is from Loudoun County, Virginia.
9: No, that's Scott- not, that is not um, uh, what I was talking about. Well,
10: Talk about- you keep citing news reports, and not- that's the most prominent news report that anyone in America has seen. That refers to Scott Smith, whose 15-year-old daughter was raped. She was raped in a bathroom by a boy wearing girls' clothes, and the Loudoun County School Board covered it up because it would have interfered with their transgendered policy during Pride Month. And that man, Scott Smith, because he went to a school board and tried to defend his daughter's rights, was condemned internationally. Do you apologize to Scott Smith and his 15-year-old daughter, Judge?
7: Senator,
9: anyone who is... Uh, child was raped as is a a most horrific crime I can imagine, and is certainly entitled and protected by the First Amendment to protest to their school board about this. But he
10: was cited by the School Board Association as a domestic terrorist, which we now know. That letter and those reports were the basis for your... No, no, Senator. That's wrong. Judge, this is shameful. This this testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. That's not... Thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You should resign in disgrace, Judge.
1: You know what? I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I wonder how many people watching this, listening to this little feeble old man. Uh, maybe he's in a little bit better uh, position than, than uh, his boss, Joe El Baboso Biden, the president. But I was thinking, man, that's the last guy that I want on the Supreme Court because he's going to be there till he's dead and then B. My goodness, that's our chief law enforcement officer for the whole United States, our top guy. That guy. No, no, I don't believe that's No, I don't. I don't think so. No, this is about threats of violence. My goodness. You could not make this up if you were trying to ridicule America by writing a story about it, like some sort of satire about America. And apparently Joe Biden is the author of this story and he's doing it in real life. This, to me, it just blows me away. Now, there's the knockout punch is coming up, but I'm going to save that for a second because I do want to squeeze in a call here because I hate to leave people on hold forever. And he just talked about, Senator Cotton, about the gentleman who was arrested because he was up in arms because his daughter was raped in a girl's bathroom by a boy wearing a skirt. I got to tell you, I get mad too. I'd show up in somebody's face, too, and depending on how they handled it, we'd see where it goes. But if you show up and you get somebody that's like, you know, well, you know, thank God for the wokeness. And you get somebody like Merrick Garland, you know, it's going to get ugly. People are people. People want to defend their children. People care about their children. Let's go to Tim in Daytona Beach, Florida. Tim, you're on with Rich Valdez, Mark Levin Show.
11: Hey, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I just wanted to mention that with all this is going on, especially with Mr. Smith, it's an absolute, it's a travesty. But What I really called about was, you know, this is really nothing new in our society. And I, I am a conservative, and many years ago, uh, back in the early 70s, Uh, My father worked at the Washington Post. He was real good friends with Captain Graham. And the Typewriters Union and a couple other unions got very upset because uh, a, a a guy named Rich would wear had long hair and wore dresses. Not guilty. And makeup. Oh, I'm not joking. And they wanted to fire him. Well, Captain Graham came down and spoke to my dad and said to my dad, uh, what's going on with this guy, Rich? We got to get rid of him. My dad said, no, we're not getting rid of him. He's my best worker. He's better than anybody I have here. I don't care what he wears to work. But I did tell him you can't wear high heels because they're not the proper safety shoe. <laughs>
7: well,
11: <laughs> But And I would go down there, you know, with my dad and my two other brothers. i I've, I've met Rich, a uh, great guy, but he dressed like a woman. So what?
1: Yeah, and you know what? So did J. Edgar Hoover. He did that, too. And, and I think the bottom line here is that we've always seen people that may have cross-dressed. And, again, I didn't see that growing up in school. But maybe they were closeted, and I'll give them that benefit of the doubt. But we didn't see this... Um, the, the trans community committing these sexual assaults, it's, it's a difficult pill to swallow. It's a diff- difficult idea to even to, to come up with. the. It's This is tough for me. Honestly, this is tough with a kid in high school and one that's three years removed from high school. I don't like this one bit, but thank you, Tim, for your call. We appreciate it. I'm going to lay out the knockout punch from my guy, Senator Ted Cruz. Man, did he nail it. But first... We will uh, take this break. We'll come right back. I'm Rich Valdez, in for the great one. Much Lovin'. Welcome back. Rich Valdez filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. And I set it up for you right before we left. We were talking about Ted Cruz and how he did the knockout punch in today's hearing. At least that's where I tuned off and I said, man, after these guys had all beaten the everything out of A.G. Garland and he obfuscated from giving answers, Ted Cruz came in with the kill shot. Check this out.
12: A big part of this, this letter is that they're upset about parents not wanting critical race theory talk. Your son-in-law makes a very substantial sum of money from a company involved in the teaching of critical race theory. Oh, snap. Did you seek and receive a decision from an ethics advisor at the Department of Justice before you carried out an action that would have a predictable financial benefit to your son-in-law?
9: This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats uh, and I violence. just asked a
12: question. Did you It seek has an ethics, no
9: predictable Did effect, you seek uh, an
12: ethics opinion? It has no predictable. Did you seek an ethics opinion? Judge, you know how to ask questions and answer them. Did you seek an ethics opinion?
9: You asked me whether I sought an ethics opinion about something that would have a predictable effect on something. This has no predictable effect in the way that you're talking about. So
12: if critical race theory is taught in more schools, does your son-in-law make this more memo money? memo has nothing. If critical race theory is taught in more schools, does your son-in-law make more money? Yes or no?
9: This memor- Memorandum has nothing to do with critical race Will theory. Will you answer or if you sought an Kind opinion. of curriculum. Will you I, answer
12: if you sought an ethics I am opinion.
9: answering the best I can.
12: Seek an ethics opinion.
9: This memorandum has Did nothing. Did you
12: seek an ethics opinion?
9: This memorandum has nothing to do with. General,
12: are race you refusing theory. to answer if you sought an ethics opinion? I am telling
9: you that there's no possible. Concept. So
12: you're saying no? Just answer it directly. You know how to answer a question directly. I'm, Did you seek? an ethics opinion.
9: I'm telling you that if I thought there was any reason to believe there was a conflict of interest, I would do that, but I cannot. Why do you refuse
12: to answer the conflict- question? Why won't you just say no? I'm sorry. You're not going to answer the question? I'm sorry.
9: Say, ask the question again.
12: Did you seek an <laughs> ethics opinion?
9: I'm saying again, I would seek an ethics co- opinion in ethics- So no is the answer, correct? Ought- there was a conflict- Senator, your time is up.
12: Let the record reflect the Attorney General refuses to answer whether he sought an ethics opinion, and apparently ethics are not a terribly high priority in the Biden Justice Department.
1: Un aplauso for Senator Ted Cruz. Man, he laid it on him. I think that uh, Mr. Magoo Merrick El Gran Payaso Garland, there was nothing left. uh, I I don't know what ethics are. I don't know what opinions are. I had no expectation. Uh, So apparently, if you're Merrick Garland and you don't think that you're violating any ethics rules, you're good. Isn't that great? You're just good. Anyway, straight ahead, we got a whole additional hour for you guys marxism what's going on in new york the vaccine mandates don't move a muscle i'm rich valdez right here in for the great
0: he's here he's here now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Hour 3, Mark Levin Show, Coast to Coast, our phone number, 877-381-3811. A few people holding on. There's a couple open lines. We're going to get to that, I promise. And, uh, you know, I was just talking to Mr. Producer during the break, and I said, Man, this thing is flying. I thought we were halfway through. We're two thirds of the way through. So let me know. I don't know if I'm doing a good job or not. Let me know at Rich Valdez on the social media. I am the host of This Is America. That's a podcast that we distribute on iHeartRadio, and you can get it wherever you get your podcast. So use your podcast app. Click subscribe while you're at it. Subscribe to The Mark Levin Show. Excellent, excellent listening. Now, Trump has started a new media group and the biggest question that I could think of in my head was will it have wrestling will it have WWE will it have AEW now I, I think uh, you know huge shout out to the McMahons and Paul Heyman these guys are excellent at what they do now I often wonder since I'm a broadcaster if I ever worked in WWE would would I be like a ring announcer saying things like "From Tehran, Iran, the Iron Sheik"? You know, or would it be more like a ringside color commentary, play-by-play kind of guy? You know, kind of like you know calling out like, "And Brodus grabbing Um, Omos in the first ever off the top rope superplex, and boom, landing in a never before seen armbar submission on the mat. This is nothing short of incredible from these two towering behemoths." I don't know. I don't know which one it would be, or maybe like a manager like Paul Heyman, you know, he does a terrific job, you know, shoot, as a talk show host, talking smack and cutting promos is literally like in my DNA, the wrestling part, not so much. So I imagine if I was going to wrestle somebody, let's say Joe El Baboso Biden, I would call him out from the locker room curtain, right? And, and they would be announcing, and say, you know, and Richie V, the broadcasting barber, he is coming through the door, making his way to ringside from the locker room, calling out Joe El Baboso Biden, and let's go to the mic. And I would say, Joe El Baboso Biden, this is my promo, right? You don't stand a chance against me in the ring because you're allowing human smuggling at the border. You botched up Afghanistan. You're destroying the airline industry right before Christmas with vaccine mandates. And Joe Elbaboso Biden, you won't stand a chance against me when you wrestle in this ring right here in Madison Square Garden, New York City. I don't know. You know you know why? Because he wouldn't have the Secret Service. He won't have his famous handy-dandy note card. And he won't have Jen Pasirco back Basaki. Silent P, of course. It'll just be Sleepy Creepy Joe and me, mano a mano, American versus Chinaman. Capitalist versus closet communist. And, of course, I'm going to do my signature move. I guess we're going to call that the broadcast blast, and I will broadcast blast Joe El Baboso Biden all over this ring. And then the crowd erupts into a chant. Sounds like they're chanting, let's go, Brandon, for some odd reason. Anyway, that's what it would be like. I guess a brother can dream, right? So I don't have uh, the, um, the, the wherewithal, I think, to be a wrestler. But man, that's an industry I'd love to work in. Anyway, uh, that was a quick aside. Now, we talked about Joe and Baboso Biden and how all this Marxism is literally taking over so many parts of our our life. And thank God it hasn't affected wrestling. It's like my, my safe space lately. But it's affecting many parts of life. And and the reason wrestling is a part of my life was because my mom, God rest her soul, was a fan back in the days. Sheeps Bay High School, Shellbank Junior High School in Brooklyn, we'd go We'd watch guys like Jimmy Superfly, Snooker, the Samoans, Iron Mike Sharp, the Junkyard Dog. It was a great family experience. And, and it still is with indie matches. You know, like, like my local nights at Columbus, Ridgewood Park, New Jersey. They're affordable, and it's great family fun. That's not a commercial, I swear. That's really me saying that. You know, but my, that's my thought when they say Trump has a new media company. And I know he's tackling every aspect of this because he realizes more than most – that the Marxists have come after the news. The Marxists have come after sports. The Marxists have come after art. And this one was sent to me by one of our listeners down in Texas, big shout to Paul, who sent this to me on Instagram. And I thought it was terrific. There's an artist that's oftentimes cited by the designer for uh, Louis Vuitton. I forget his name, but the guy's name is Christo. And he's a French artist. And when he's unveiling his latest uh, exhibit, you got to hear the stuff that he's talking about. I mean, it's almost like he ripped it right out of uh, some sort of 1960s radical book. You pick the book. It could be the Alinsky book. It could be uh, the, uh, the original Marxist manifesto. I mean, you name it. He just talks about how possessions are the enemy of what he calls freedom. Now, that fascinates me because we started the show talking about life, liberty, and personal property. And that's what liberty is. That's what we declared independence from England to fight over, to protect that. Fascinating to me. Listen to this.
2: This project, they are about freedom. This project exists not because some president of the republic like to have them or some corporate executive. This project is pure demonstration of creativity. Nobody can buy this project. Nobody can charge tickets for this project. Even ourselves, Jean-Claude. Myself, we don't own this project. This project, they are so free. This is why they cannot stay. Because freedom is enemy of possession. And possession is equal of permanent.
1: Wow. That was deep. Freedom is the enemy of possession. This is some serious Marxist BS staring us right in the face and this guy's doing it i'm sure there were people there that were with adoring eyes looking at this uh french um artist named cristo say man that wow that was brilliant you're so smart and i'm thinking what a schmuck how he's been abused by the marxist ideology and that's where we're at so to me it comes as no surprise that people like him others like academics. Like Noam Chomsky. And I think he, he goes by academic. And I talked him about him on my podcast, This Is America with Rich Valdez, the latest one. And uh, I, I made fun of him a little bit because I think he's uh, a little bit of a sangano, if you will. Uh, a little bit of an idiot in that way, a weakling. But, but now he's like 4 million years old and he looks like Father Time. And he said, well, because... Well, you know what? Better than me do my impression, you listen to this. Check this out.
13: Same way as with... People who say that I don't want to, re- I don't want to accept traffic rules. I suppose there were people who said it's an attack on my liberty to make me stop at a red light. It's government overreach. I don't want the state to have that power over my private life. Well, such people have to be. They should have the decency to remove themselves from the community. If they refuse to do that, then. Measures have to be taken to safeguard the community from them. Then comes the practical question that you ask. Uh, how can we get food to them? Well, that's actually their problem. Uh, of course, if they really become destitute, then yes, you would have to move in with some measure to uh, secure their survival. Uh, just as you do with people in jail, for example. But uh, that's really not the issue.
1: All right, so let's start from the beginning. So now, Mr. Chomsky, Mr. Chomsky says, he's answering a question on a podcast where they ask him, you know, what do we do about these vaccine mandates? You know, what do we do? And he ultimately says, well, this is akin to somebody saying, I don't want to stop at a red light or at, uh, at a stop sign. And I'm thinking, Está loco? are you crazy, sir? There is no way that you can say stopping at a light that has nothing to do with your health unless you cross that light, right, and get nailed by somebody. But getting an injection that some people have uh, objections because it's experimental, some people have objections because it it was rushed, whatever the case may be. To me, the, the most important of which are if you put your faith in God and you're not a vaccine person and never have been, this literally infringes upon your rights, especially in a state like New York, where the New York state law is incredibly generous about what one's religious liberty looks like this is going to be a legal nightmare for many, many people, and it's going to be bogged down. And Levin made that clarion call the other day, and he said, go for it. And I agree, go for it. People, you know, people have to make a living, and I'm fortunate. But I have to say, when he says that we have to start treating people the way I presume, I presume the way you would with people that are in jail. So now you mean because somebody's refusing to take an injection that you're mandating that they take? Now they have to be treated like an incarcerated individual, a criminal. This is beyond crazy, but this is Chomsky, right? And he's an academic and he's a philosopher and he's one of these guys and he's informing the thought process of so many people that are in positions of power today. And he accepts this idea of living by fear. And that's why we're in the position we're in. And then you have others that just get drunk with power and they're, they're happy to do whatever they want to do to continue things in the name of power. And I talked about this a lot uh, on my uh, show on the podcast. We talked about essential Andy Cuomo because he decided who was essential and who wasn't now. Okay. He crashed and burned. He went up in flames. He's no longer around, but his sidekick across the river, my governor here in New Jersey, Phil. El- well, I don't want to say it on the radio. Murphy starts with a pedo. Phil Murphy, he, uh, he, he's still drunk on power. Now, what's fascinating to me is that while Phil Murphy is, is still drunk on power, he's a little bit less drunk than essential Andy Cuomo was. He takes it easy. He's methodical, more like a Biden. I'll just say whatever I got to say to get, I got hairy legs. If you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And he'll do whatever he's got to do to get across the finish line. But, of course, then the finish line comes and then he's going to be like, well, well, you know, what what happens here is got to do. I don't do a good Phil Murphy. uh, But anyway, you know what? We're going to get into Phil Murphy and everything that's happening in New Jersey straight ahead. Our telephone number 877 381 I am Rich Valdez in for the great. Much love in. Welcome back, America. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all the social media. Give me a follow so we can continue the conversation because it's already 8 4 And there's so much I still want to talk about. Thank God there's one thing I'm good at, and it's talking. At least I like to think I'm good at it. Anyway, uh, we talked about Phil Murphy, and I set that up. And I I just want to give a little preface. So I actually worked in New Jersey state government. I served in the administration of Governor Chris Christie. I worked in Trent, and I worked in the Capitol complex. I was there for a couple of years uh, as a full-time staffer. And then I was on the outside as a, a board of advisors for... The NJCHPRD, the New Jersey Center for Hispanic Policy Research and Development, and I did that as a uh, civilian, I guess if you could say, as a private individual, um, weighing in whenever. And basically when Murphy came in, they kind of just marginalized us. Even though we had two years left on a term, they were just kind of like whatever. And recently I think they just disappeared our names from the website because (laughs) they didn't like what we had to say. But the case here. Is about vaccine mandates and about underhanded decisions that uh, Phil Murphy is making. You know, he's in everybody's face. You know, oh, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. But, but wait, there's more, because when nobody's looking, he's going to do what he's going to do, right? What's the saying? Potatoes are going to potate. So let's go to this audio of governor phil murphy right we've got project veritas and now a little other disclosure i actually worked for james o'keefe uh, 2014 2015. i was the director of special operations so i was the national field director running you know pretty much all i think every single project that we had went through my office and it was a tremendous experience so i have a lot of respect for the organization and the work that project veritas does having uh, been in a different city every week at times to make sure that that work got done so I know what they're going through, and it's not easy to get audio and video that's this good, but listen to this.
6: Mm-hmm. Then the independent deciders would not vote for him if he did the mandate. Because they're into all that shit. My rights, my shit. And they don't care that they kill everybody. Well, that, see, that's good to know then, that after he wins, then he'll do the mandates, yeah. the vaccine mandates. He will. But right now it's about him winning. It'll
1: be be fine. Now, this is just a little clip of a conversation where these two women, uh, both uh, of Hispanic descent, are having a conversation with some words in Spanish. And she tells her, you know, el mandato de la vacuna. And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 we got to do that, the vaccine mandate. And she's like, oh, no, no, he's going to do it. And they're having this really, really interesting conversation. And they go on to now more audio, more video that came out today where... Someone from the Project Veritas organization does the traditional, once they release the uh, story and everybody knows about it, now let's get a reaction from Governor Murphy. So they see Governor Murphy. They offer him an opportunity to speak into the mic and say, hey, Governor, what's your reaction to your senior advisor, Wendy Martinez, saying X, Y, and Z on hidden camera? And what happens? Well, he decides he doesn't want to take any questions. Listen to this.
14: Governor Murphy, James Lolino, Project Veritas Action. Sir, are you going to mandate the vaccine uh, after the election, sir? We have one of your staffers uh, on undercover video saying that you guys are going to mandate the vaccine after the election, sir.
3: Hi, I'm Alex Altman.
14: Okay, well, I would like to ask him because he's the governor of the state.
1: It was it, the video was funny because she's he, she's a lot shorter than he is. This little blonde woman, and and she uh, she steps to him and she's like, "Hi, I'm Alex Altman." <laughs> he, he's got his microphone extended for Governor Murphy, and he goes and he goes, "I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to him. He's my governor." <laughs> and and I just thought it was it had some good comedic content too. But this is where we're at, and this is how they do it. And if you saw the debate between Curtis Leiba and uh, what is his name? I'm literally forgetting Eric Adams. Elite Eric Adams. He just sits there, smiles smugly, and just ignores. And that's how Democrats in strong Democrat districts, that's how they, that's how they roll. They'll ignore you. They don't ever want to acknowledge you because, hey, why not? Right? It's easier for them to do that way. But they ignore things. And, and that's where we're at. Now, you've got Curtis Sliwa. He, um, he hits Eric Adams in this debate. And I, I don't want to, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't play a clip of Curtis Sliwa. but I will wait <laughs> till the other side of this because I don't want to run out of time that's the worst thing ever when you run out of time on radio so the question here for everybody that's calling in is what is the status in your in your in your estimation of what's going on here is governor murphy pulling a fast one because he's one of two governors that are up for re-election this year is he kind of a uh, concealing what's going on so that he can later go, well, you know, upon further consideration we've decided, you know what, we're going to do that mandate and we're going to do the passports too. Why not? I don't know. This is something I think that we really have to uh, figure out because it doesn't look good for el gobernador Phil Murphy. Anyway, don't move a muscle. on Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. Straight ahead, Curtis Lewa and everything else before we wrap up. Don't move a muscle.
5: Mark Levin, the champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811.
1: All right, America, welcome back. 877-381-3811 for the Libs. And I am Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all the social media. There's this piece that I want to talk about. I guess I'm going to carry it over to the podcast since I'm going to run out of time on the air eventually. But it says, controlling the narrative, Soros partners with fellow billionaire, the the founder of LinkedIn, to launch a new media venture called Good Information. And I'm going to get to that on the podcast. But it's really interesting, and it's about George Soros. So check that out on the podcast. But we're talking about... What happened at the debate between Eric Adams, elite Eric Adams, and Curtis Sleever, the founder of the Guardian Angels, my colleague from uh, WABC where we both used to be on the air. And what I find remarkable about this is that Curtis just hit him with one truth bomb after another in this debate. And Eric Adams just stood there literally like a stuffed suit. If you get a chance, try to see the video. You'll see him there just grinning and grimacing. <laughs> I don't have to answer you. I'm Eric Adams. Anyway, so Eric Adams uh, took a verbal beatdown from my guy Curtis, and I want you to listen to this.
14: Oh, and then wait a second. We're we're going to face firing civil servants this Friday. Hero police officers, firefighters, sanitation workers, healthcare workers who have already been told either you're vaccinated or you're fired. All right. Teachers. This Friday, it is a disgrace. These people end these mandates. And when I'm mayor, I'm hiring them all back and I'm giving them back pay. This is a violation of their rights. Get uh, vaccinated. No but more importantly, if okay, you can't Mr. Cl- or Mr. Want, then you should. Let's you con- absolutely should Mr. be able to get tested once a week.
1: You know, these guys, this Bill Ritter and the rest of these moderators, they really, it's like they go to school to practice how to be like like Merrick Garland. right? Uh, Mr. Sleewa, Mr. Sleewa, Mr. Sleewa, you're taking an extra eight seconds. <laughs> oh! Come on, man. Toughen up, buttercup. Anyway, now, Sleewa's right on here. Now, full disclosure, I've got some family that were NYPD. I've always been a big advocate of the NYPD. I support the boys in blue, back the blue. That's just how I do. And I'm not ashamed to say it. But Joy Reed. Joy Reed, she's hateful. Joy Reed, she doesn't like this because why? Because Ron DeSantis, Ron El Don DeSantis, what did he say? He said, Oh, guess what? Whatever state you're in, you got fired. I'm giving five thousand dollar bonuses. What's up? Come come be a cop in Florida. Come be a first responder over here. What's good. This is why I like him. Because he brings the fight to the to the left. He doesn't wait to get punched in the face. He's like, oh, you trying to punch me? Watch this. Pow! (laughs) And he catches him. And they're like, oh, how did he do that? Oh, he's terrible. He's killing everybody with COVID. Listen to Joy Reid.
15: On Sunday, the Florida Republican announced plans to offer unvaccinated cops $5,000 bonuses to relocate to Florida and join police forces there. Rolling out this perverse dystopian tourism ad to the COVID blue line. Are you big on ordering people to comply, but you hate complying with health mandates yourself? Do you dream of arresting people's ability to breathe while you arrest them? Well, pack up your potentially infectious self, your badge, and your gun, and come on down to Florida. Take this taxpayer bonus money and enjoy constant interaction with vulnerable senior citizens you can breathe on. Every breakthrough case and ICU admission is the virus of freedom spreading. And don't forget your sunscreen.
1: Now, you know, my bias may prevent me from laughing at that. I think that that may have been funny if it it was arranged a little better. i got to admit, and maybe this is me tooting my own horn, I think I might be a little bit funnier than Joy Reid. I I really do. Sometimes I listen and I go, you know what, that was actually pretty good. Joy Reid, boo, that wasn't any good. You were talking about cops. These are heroes. These are the people that that went into the burning buildings in 9-11, cops and firefighters and the ambulance. Come on. EMTs. This is wrong. Now I want you to hear what Ron DeSantis really said. Listen to this.
14: Morale is low for years because of how, how law enforcement's been treated. But when you saw all the rioting last summer, all the vitriol directed at them, Florida stood up and said, we back the blue. And so we are 100% uh, excited about saying anyone that's being mistreated, if the morale's low, if you can't take take uh, that environment and you have we have openings here, you're going to get an environment where people are going to support you. Uh, And I think that that's something that's... And I can tell you, the people that have come down from some of these places already, you talk to them, it's the best decision they've ever made. So we're looking to capitalize off a lot of communities across our country who've turned their back on law enforcement, who aren't providing them the support, where there's all kinds of different uh, problems uh, with, with just being able to do the job. So it has nothing to do, it will be available to anyone who comes. And so if people are trying to say it's a vaccine issue, it's not, has nothing to do with that. They've been mistreated for a long time. I don't think a police officer should be fired over over shots, I don't think that that's correct. They've been out in the line. They've been out for for months, a year and a half, two years, doing their job. And we said that they were heroes for a while. And now all of a sudden, some jurisdictions want to fire them. I think that's wrong for sure.
1: I think it's wrong too. But you know what? You know who does stuff like that? Bill El Bobo De Blasio. That's right. And he's on his way out. But he handpicked his replacement, elite Eric Adams. Who's hanging out with the TikTok girls? Who's going on vacation? Guess where he went on vacation when Curtis Lee was out there in the streets helping people? He was in Monaco. My friends, I don't even know where Monaco is. And I have a good feeling a lot of you who are out there, blue-collar plumbers, truckers, cops, lawyers. There's a lot of people who don't know where Monaco is because, you know what, we're making that kind of money because we're not Democrats in government. Democrats in government seem to be able to go on vacation wherever they want and hang out with Kanye and hang out with the Kardashians. And shame on Kanye for hanging out with Eric Adams. Anyway, that's a whole different story. I'll get into that on the pod. But Rep. Madison Cawthorn, right, he uh, he went in on this, this vaccine mandate stuff because the crux of this, where it all comes from, it's you-know-who.
9: Paging Dr. Fauci. Paging Dr. Fauci.
1: <laughs> yep, that's right. Dr. Anthony Fauci. Mark likes to call him the Fauci. I like to call him the Fouchster. The Fouchster, who's literally 80 something, 81 years old, still calling the shots. The shot caller at the NIH. Madison Cawthorn called him out. Madison Cawthorn is a, a, a patriot. I met him at a CPAC. And uh, the kid is sharp. Listen to this.
15: Dr. Fauci has forsaken his Hippocratic oath and exchanged it for the mantle of unchecked power. His policies shuttered the U.S. economy, drove our country into financial upheaval, and violated the rights of millions of Americans. In July, he willfully lied to the U.S. Senate about his role in funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China. This week, the world was shocked to discover that through an experiment under his watch, sweet beagle puppies had their heads stuffed into crates so that sand flies could slowly strip away the skin from their bones. These defenseless animals were damned to agonize in silence because their vocal cords had been surgically ripped from their throats so that their tormentors could discharge their evil actions without having to hear incessant yapping. Madam Speaker, today I am calling for the creation of a formal commission to investigate the true origin of COVID-19, the role Fauci played in its creation, the false statements he made to members of Congress under oath, and why the hell Americans are funding the torture of puppies in Africa. Americans deserve the truth, and this demon doctor must never be allowed to escape justice.
1: So you've got Dr. Fauci, the Fauchster, who's okay with funding this research in Wuhan to make the coronavirus more lethal. He's okay with funding this horrible puppy experiment where they cut their voice box, surgically removed vocal cords so they couldn't say anything. Sounds a lot like our buddy Noam Chomsky who said, well, if you don't want to take the vaccine, it's like you don't want to stop at red lights. So guess what? We're going to treat you like a criminal and treat you like you're in jail. I guess we'll have to get you some sort of sustenance at some point. These are Joe Biden's people. These are his mans and thems. This is out of control. I don't know how any blue-collar construction worker Democrat could ever say, man, you know, Joe Biden's my kind of guy. He's not anybody's kind of guy. He's Joe Ed Edmobosso Biden. Anyway. He's not the only one, right? Madison Cawthorn is not the only one saying that uh, Fauci lied. Matter of fact, Washington Examiner, piece by Paul Bedard. Poll, Fauci lied. resign. Nearly half of the nation believes that COVID-19 czar Anthony Fauci lied about funding this virus testing in China, and almost as many want him dumped from the post that he's held for how long? 37 years. In the latest Rasmussen Report survey, 49% said he has not told the truth about U.S. funding for gain-of-function research, when asked if he could, if he should be forced to resign as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, 46% said yes and 40% said no. Look at that, he still has a crowd of 40%. The survey followed the recent release of the memo suggesting the United States supported and funded virus testing in China, where it's believed COVID-19 started or was developed. It prompted a new round of calls led by Senator Rand Paul to fire Fauci, beloved by his fans but despised by critics of masks and vaccine mandates. Rasmussen released this uh, NIH memo that appeared to contradict Fauci's denial that the federal funds had been used to fund controversial research in a Chinese laboratory, and this obviously cut into his credibility. And it ends with this. The latest Rasmussen Reports National Telephone and Online Survey finds that 33% of U.S. likely voters believe Fauci has told the truth. A whole third, so two-thirds are against him. Not good. But among Republicans, 67% want him to resign. Now, as with any polls, with Fauci, partisanship plays a role. For example, he remains popular amongst Democrats. Only 24% feel that he should be ousted. So this is where we are, America. Anthony Fauci is still the man of the hour. And why? Because Marxism has crept in and people just truly believe in this tribalization, this balkanization, this, this uh, divide and conquer mentality that has just permeated everything that is good and holy in America. Things that were once considered great are now, oh, I don't know, you know, cops, firefighters, I don't know about those guys. We're defunding the police by forcing them into this, forcing them into that, getting rid of them, we're emptying out jails like Rikers Island in New York and putting the criminals on the street. This is not good, no bueno. Anyway, don't move a muscle. We're almost at the finish line, but I still have a lot to go. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, in for the
9: great. love in.
1: about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it. Yeah, that's just the way it goes. We're never going to learn how safe the vaccine is until we start giving it. Of course, that's Doctor Rubin from the FDA on an FDA panel, and these are Joe Biden's peeps, right? You've got Phil Murphy, you've got Doctor Anthony Fauci, of course. In Virginia, you've got what's his name again? Terry McAuliffe. How could I forget the Clintonian? So, speaking of Phil Murphy, we've got Carol in West New York, New Jersey. What's going on? Hey there, uh, it's so great to talk to you. Thank because you. So, fun a neighbor
6: of yours. Hello, it's so Alice Rich. <laughs> what's
1: up? What's up? So, tell me what's going on with uh, Phil Murphy.
6: You know, uh, I, re- I I saw on the internet that uh, debate with uh, Jack Chisarelli. He was so nasty to him. And condescending,
1: and a smart aleck, and everything. And didn't he even bring up something about a racial issue also? Yeah, well, you know, this is the problem, Carol. These guys will bring everything into a racial issue because ultimately, if you disagree with somebody on the left, they're going to say, listen, I don't like what you're saying. You're a homophobe and you're a racist. And sadly, that's just the way it crumbles. Thank you for the call, Carol. I want to move on because we've got a few people I want to squeeze in before the clock tolls. Let's go to Larry in Twinsburg, Ohio. Larry, what's going on, brother? Hi, Rich. Thank you for taking my call. You bet.
6: I. Yeah, I've been following the COVID numbers in Ohio ever since the virus started, and the numbers right now are average daily infections and hospitalizations are similar to what we saw in November of last year when nobody was vaccinated, and the deaths
1: are actually, average daily deaths are higher than they were last year November. You know, Larry, I think you raise a good point because I'm looking at an article right here. And of all places, NPR, it says emergency rooms are now swamped with seriously ill patients, but many don't even have COVID. And uh, there's, you know, a, a, a dotted line that's being made here saying these could be the result of vaccine injuries and things like that that we're not even looking at. So I think that's important to take a look at. And I'll tweet this out and also talk about it on the podcast tomorrow. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you checking in with us. I want to check in with Alex in Los Angeles. What's going on? You're on with Rich Valdez, Mark Levin Show.
5: Hey, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm just calling in to let uh, everyone know that ever since Governor Newsom uh, beat his recall election, he went, and, went ahead and signed Assembly Bill 101, which uh, is an ethnic studies class that all California students have to pass in order to graduate. Uh, it's pretty much a gateway into critical race theory. And one of the chapters and lessons in it is strictly about Black Lives Matter and how to pretty much become an activist in the movement for them.
1: You know, Alex, we saw some really interesting stuff come out of California, out of Sacramento, James O'Keefe Project Veritas. They found this communist teacher. When they found him, he had a hammer and sickle on his shirt, and he had these tattoos to match. You've got some avowed communists that are teaching kids in California, and I would have to submit it's probably happening everywhere, including in places like Blackney, South Carolina. Let's go to Peter. Peter, what's going on? Thanks for your call, by the way, Alex. Uh,
6: Hello. Thank you for taking on. You well, mean. technically, this uh, guy, uh, Attorney General, he's a completely idiot, just like the other guy that he works for. Uh, so, basically, if you go to the store and uh, general managers decided that you are a terrorist, I mean, parents paying into the school system, they're customers of the school system, and they're being hammered down. <clears throat> so 100%. Kind of-
1: I totally agree, Peter. Yeah, Well, I appreciate that.
6: Thank you.
1: Yeah, okay. And we we were missing each other there. But, yeah, I think he's right on, on board. And we're swinging it back to New York City after going across the country to Ohio and South Carolina and Los Angeles. Let's go to, let's see, I probably only have time for one more here. Let's go to my man Jimmy from Brooklyn. You've got a minute and a half.
7: Hey, Rich, doing a great job. Thank you, sir. You see, all across the country, you've got these Marxist mayors, district attorneys. They're cutting local police funding, and it creates a, a huge amount of chaos and, and uh, violence and death. And then the federal government intervenes and says they'll fund it. So what it is, this is the communist revolution. You need federal control of the police. You can't have local control. You can't have separation of powers. This is a full-fledged Marxist revolution. It's going on for a hundred years. You know, in 1922, there was a major assault in America. It was a communist revolution. All the factories were closed, the mines were closed, the shippings and uh, docks were closed. And then it was mass massive killings all across the country. And there were Soviet agents sent here to help lead it at the request of Marxist in America.
1: You know, that kind of sounds like last summer. Jimmy, I hate to cut you short, but that's that's where we're at. And, and I think you're right. You know, the left loves um, their federal police, but they don't love the actual police. They want what they can control because they're focused on collectivism. The music means it's time for us to go. I want to thank everybody, including uh, Mr. Producer, Steve-O, the great one, Mark Levin, for allowing me to be here with you guys. And thank each and every one of you across America. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And you can get me on all the social media. Hasta la próxima. Take care. God bless. This is the Mark Levin Show.